Welcome to EdTech Tuesdays. My name is Eva Hotmacher. In this episode, we are talking to Todd Raffel about successful skills organizations and the definition, the leader's role, and what workers want from work. Välkommen till EdTech Tuesdays. En intervjupodd om innovation, lärandekultur och teknologier för lärande. Vi samtalar med svenska och internationella innovatörer, investerare, thinkers och doers som utmanar status quo. Podden produceras av Snabbfoting, en ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. I've spent about uh, 25 years working for a couple different places that put on conferences and published publications for HR, recruiters, uh, learning and development professionals, uh, one company called Workforce, workforce workforce.com, and then the second called ERE, which was a uh, a conference uh, company, again, for HR and recruiters around the world. And uh, I currently work for a company called Skyhive, Mm-hmm. which is a sky, like a beehive, skyhive. And I can describe to you what skyhive does, if that's if that's helpful. Absolutely. Go ahead. Tell me more. So skyhive, uh, if you think about the way that uh, people have kind of cracked the code for human genome, skyhive did that with uh, really human skills and capabilities. So, and actually, actually patented it, invented a way to break down every job and every person into their their skills and their capability. And we work for basically like three different kinds of organizations. One is uh, large companies helping them get uh, market intelligence about um, where their skills gaps are, how to fill those gaps, uh, as well as governments helping them reskill people, match people to jobs based on what people can learn to get into more valuable work than if they've maybe if they've been laid off. And then third, we work with like educational organizations like a community college or an online school and so on, helping them plan curriculum, helping them place graduates and other things based on what skills are trending, becoming more and less valuable. Mm, interesting, really nice. And uh, yeah, today uh, we will discuss uh, skills organizations and how we can attract and retain people and that is so important questions the workplace how can we make them stay be satisfied and happy and uh, yeah um, what's your definition of a skills organization uh, interesting question yes there's been there's been so much talk about it right there's been all this there's been a lot of webinars and blog posts and podcasts about skills organizations and this is probably different different ways to define it um i would i would define it as one where people feel like they're judged based on what they can do um sounds kind of sounds kind of basic sounds kind of like a general definition but it's not i actually was this weekend i was looking at um a lot of glass door reviews because a lot of people there were a lot of layoffs this past week especially in the hr technology field so i was curious what people were talking about so i went through a lot of 
uh, Glassdoor reviews, and a lot of them were from people who had just been laid off or people who were surviving, but they pretty much knew that they were going to be stuck with everyone else's work. And so they already had too much work, and now they're going to have double the work. So I was looking for all these reviews, and the number one thing I saw was that people who were posting feel like they're judged based on like what I would call like social issues or social things like mm. they're not part of the cool crowd. Uh, the company thinks they're not sufficiently, you know, yes, man, or whatever, like um, always kind of drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever for the company. Uh, they didn't, they weren't part of the clique or the social group, or they didn't come from the previous employer or the previous college that a bunch of people came from. They just weren't seen as sufficiently in the social loop. And it was that, that in many people's eyes seemed to have gotten them removed, not their, what they can do. And I would say a skills organization is simply the opposite of that. Hmm. Hmm. And um, is it a diversity uh, problem as well, uh, the things you describe? It's a huge diversity problem because if you're not judged based on your capability, you're judged on something else. So you'll be, just as, as an example, there are organizations that post job descriptions and job advertisements, and, jo and they'll say, 30% travel is required. Mm. And if 30% travel is really required, fine, no problem. So be it. But if it's not really required, what happens is people weed themselves out and they don't apply because they have uh, family responsibilities, elder care responsibilities, childcare responsibilities, their own health, whatever it is, that 30% is often there because someone else did the job that way. The company mm. thinks, hey, you know, the person who's doing the job now or the person who just quit, they were traveling around to conferences all the time and that made it work and that made them effective. So that's how this job is done. Mm. But that's not always how this job can be done. There's always a different way to do a job and succeed in a job. So it becomes a diversity requirement when instead of breaking down what's really required to do a job, you default to some other thing like who did the job before or something like that that's just one example of course perfect thank you todd and uh, what do you see is missing to make a more successful um, workplace in this matter so i think companies need organizations need to um first get a handle on who can do what. When you look at these layoffs pouring in right now, mm. they it and some of the companies have a thousand or a thousand open jobs and they're laying off a thousand people. Yeah. And you got to think that some of these thousand could be redeployed into other uh, work in the company if someone knew what they can do. And it's not always what you're doing in your job right now. People have skills from outside of work. They have skills from previous jobs, from all kinds of different parts of their life. And the company and even people's own manager doesn't often know what people can even do. Hmm. So 
the default is to lay them off instead of redeploying them, which is extremely sad. I saw layoffs this morning uh, and I read the announcement and it said, and it didn't say that we are struggling. It said, we're trying to get ahead of it. So we're laying people off just to get ahead of it, just in case. Mm, mm. So that led me to, to wonder whether this organization had any idea what some of these people are capable of doing. And that's the first thing I would do is figure out what people can do. Hmm. Do the organizations need some sort of, what do they need to mm, figure out uh, the skills and what people are able to do? Uh, is it technology is missing or what parts is missing to, to be better to handle this? Uh, can you see um, where the problem is? I think part. Yeah, I think part technology, part not. So the technology I think now exists where we can much easier see transferable skills. I was at a conference recently and this, it was about people who had switched careers and there was a policeman talking and the policeman had been a journalist. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard him talking, I thought, I don't know. It seems kind of different. Someone who's writing a bunch of stuff versus someone who's trying to catch a criminal. But then when he started talking, it made perfect sense. He was good at listening. He was good at uh, digging for anomalies, things that didn't fit. Mm-hmm. He was good at asking questions. And he became, he went from being a journalist to being a cyber a cyber cop i'm not sure the word Mm. a a cyber police yeah online policeman and it made sense and if you think about that at scale if you have an organization with a hundred thousand people or more Mm. you don't always know what each of your employees is capable of doing what their transferable skills are we've we've done some research and we've asked employees How many skills do you have? Typically, people might be able to come up with somewhere around 10, ballpark Mm. around 10. Mm. But technology can quickly show you how many skills a nurse, a teacher, a journalist, a police officer, a marketer, a salesperson, a restaurant manager, a forklift operator has. And it's typically double or triple what they thought they had. And technology can do that very quickly because um, there's so much data out there and advanced artificial intelligence that can really quickly break down people into their skills. To get to your question, I don't think technology is the only answer Hmm. because um, just to take one example, technology now is really good at looking through your past job applicants and seeing who might fit into a job now, a year or two later, what skills do people have? What have they added maybe since applying and how can those fit into current jobs? Mm. But if your company thinks of past, I'm sorry, active job seekers, applicants as somehow inferior to people you're trying to poach from another company, you're not gonna look through your past applicants. Hmm. If your recruiters and your managers think that it's more important or more impressive to go grab someone from your competitor and steal them and convince them, 
and that if they apply, they're somehow not as good or something, then all the technology in the world will not get you to go look through your path to applicant database. Hmm. What do you say about the role of um, pre-boardings, uh, onboardings, uh, and the skills development in organization? How important is that for a good workplace and skills organization? Onboarding, yeah. Onboarding brings up a, an interesting uh, point, which is if you think about all there's been a lot of this talk, as I mentioned at the beginning, about skills organizations. And a lot of it is that talk has been based around college degrees and being more accepting and more open to people who may not have a college degree and may have gotten their skills a different way from an online class, from the military, from a community college, from on-the-job training, from a mentor, and so on. And companies being more interested in these non-traditional applicants. And that's good. And, and that's important, but it's not the only part of the employee life cycle, the talent acquisition part. And so onboarding brings up, you know, one part of that employee life cycle. When you're bringing someone on as an employee and you're a you know, skills organization, as we talked about, you could really think about redoing your onboarding process to be more skills oriented. So for example, if I'm starting, instead of just introducing me to the people I'm going to work with and telling me about them and having me meet them, you could introduce me to people who have skills that I'm interested in learning. Or maybe you could introduce me to people who have projects, short-term projects or gigs in the organization that I could take on that maybe I won't be doing really on my my day job, but I could try out. You could say, Todd, I know you've spent a lot of time, you know, making videos, doing video interviews with people, and that seems to be kind of your thing. And I know this job's not going to maybe have a lot of that for the next few months or next few years. Mm. But uh, Cindy over there in uh, sales is thinking of doing some video interviews, and uh, you might maybe help her out. You could you should meet her during the uh, onboarding process. Something like that. I made up that mm. example, but mm. it's a really great opportunity to to show off an organization as a skills organization. Can you see differences between organizations that have lots of these um, things compared to other organizations with lesser uh, trainings and uh, yeah, these uh, topics? There is a difference. Actually, uh, Deloitte, for, for one, did this interesting study. Um, first, they tried to figure out who's a skills organization and who's not. And they asked questions mm -hmm. like they asked employees, do you get to try out some of the skills that you don't typically use during the day? Do you get to use them once in a while? Stuff like that. So they tried to figure out who's mm -hmm. a skills organization. And then they mm -hmm. compared those organizations to ones that are not. And they found that the skills organizations are about 40 to 50% more innovative. They're about 100% better at placing talent, like internal talent or bringing in people. And they're about 40 or 50% more inclusive. So uh, their retention is way higher. So um, there are there is some data out there about the success of these skills organizations. 
have you seen uh, differences uh, between like US, uh, Europe, Asia, something? Yeah, we, we do work in those places and more. We do some work in Africa, like in Ghana, mm -hmm. uh, Japan, South Korea, Europe, uh, US, Canada. Um, I think our main areas. And we have found like Japan and South Korea a little behind Europe in their skills organization um, development or approach. They're not as developed. And um, there's been other research out there. McKinsey has done some research into those different areas. And it kind of depends what a skills organization is. So like with the hiring part of it, I think that McKinsey found US, Europe, uh, North America, developing more developed areas a little stronger than say Latin America and other areas. Uh, however, when it came to redeployment, uh, moving people internally, uh, instead of laying off, uh, India was pretty high in the U.S. and Europe were a little lower, actually, than India. So mm -hmm. it kind of depends how you define a skills organization. Have you seen, um, do you have an example of a very successful organization? A skills organization? Yeah. We work with a number of them. Um, we work with um, uh, Mark is one that's that's gotten, Mark has done some great work in getting it has, it did not have uh, a full sense of uh, people skills and it was able to uh, implement technology which showed it uh, who can do what, just like the, the first foundation or architecture of a skills organization. And then it's, it then is proceeding to cascade that into other things for example, filling skills gap and learning and making job descriptions. But it, mm. um, it is one, uh, we work with a large oil company that's doing something similar, working with another a number of governments in doing some similar mm. work. Um, we've worked with uh, Canadian, uh, Canadian military in making sure that they're focused on skills which help their gender balance so there are a number of organizations I've seen become more skills oriented and we're signing them up every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, if we have a look uh, at the leader's role in the organization, how important is the leader, the leadership and leaders? Uh, yeah, leader's role is important in everything, but certainly this, I mean, certainly, <laughs> um, for one thing is they have to be fully bought into this, this change, this approach, because it means you're hiring people based on their capability and you're not, you're going to stop saying, we want people from Salesforce. We want people from Google, or we really like people who went to, you know, Cambridge or Oxford, or, you know, we don't, we, you have to stop that. And leaders can, can need to be convinced to stop that kind of behavior is, is, just favoring people based on their pedigree. Now, of course, it can be important and uh, a great accomplishment if you graduated at a top college or if you, you know, worked at some prestigious organization. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
it's favoring that and assuming that someone who maybe didn't afford, couldn't afford school, or maybe for some other reason didn't go to these elite schools, but mm-hmm. has all the potential and all the skills in the world, that's when there's a problem. So leaders definitely need to kind of exhibit that that behavior and not fall into the old traps of asking maybe interview questions that don't apply, um, going out and calling a TEP agency or a contract labor agency instead of using their own people. Sometimes leaders can call up and say, hey, we're bringing in this this consultant. We're going to bring this consultant in and tell you what to do. They're going to take a a look through the organization. They're going to fix things up here. And sometimes employees think to themselves, wait a second, I've done way more work in whatever area it is than this person, whether it's, you know, not an event or building a website or, uh, you know, improving improving sales or um, streamlining software, whatever it is. Sometimes you, you have employees who think, I don't know, they're calling this consultant, but do they have any idea that I've been doing this at my job or my last job at whatever company? Or I spent all this time getting skilled in that and taking all these classes and getting my MBA and whatever, and now they're calling this consultant in. So yeah, le- leaders do need to think about everything they do. And I guess it is a decision uh, from the upper management as well. The leaders, uh, they are on one level. Um, the upper management and decisions maker are about and have their thoughts as well. Yeah. yeah. If you uh, consider your dream situation of a workplace, uh, what what do you have in mind? Yeah, I think I think that really is a nice, is a perfect question because it, it kind of re returns us to your first question, you know, what is a skills organization? And I think that's a little similar to a dream organization because my answer to you was one where you don't get frustrated because you feel like your social life is somehow impacting your ability to be seen as successful. A dream organization doesn't favor people because they're good at talking about themselves and making a slide about all the great work they've done. A dream organization is one where everyone's doing well because people collaborate and make each other successful based on their skills and their capability, not based on who's talking a good game, not based on who's in the office on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and who's at home, not based mm. on who can make a meeting at one o'clock or three o'clock and who's got to pick up their parents or their kids or go to their uh, you know, radiology appointment that person could work at midnight probably and do a job just as well. So a dream organization is one where the social, uh, you know, your social life is not, uh, your, your proximity or geography, where you came from is not determining your success on the job. I was looking at a study this morning from uh, Boston Consulting Group, BCG. Mm. It was one of the larger... Mm larger workplace studies done, 90,000 employees were asked, what makes, what do they want in work? And the number one answer was they want stability and work-life balance. Mm. Surprising because people think that they want other things. They want to be inspired and all those other things. And those are important, reskilling, inspiration, the ability to change what you're doing, 
change your job and change your career. All of those things were on the list. They all, they all are important. But the number mm. one thing that people said was stability and work-life balance. Now, so important. Yeah, and it doesn't mm. mean that people want to work from nine to five and go home, although it might mean that. It might mean they want to work from nine to two, go to the whatever it is they need to do from two to five and then work from mm -hmm. 10 to midnight or whatever. So I think work-life balance can be defined very differently. And stability could be defined very differently for each person. It doesn't mean you want to be boring and do the same thing your entire life. It might mean you want to work for a company and know that you don't have to worry every day about posting a LinkedIn message that you've been laid off but you do want to try to do different things and experiment and learn and fail and succeed with gigs, perhaps within your own company, but with a sense mm. of stability. The pandemic uh, has uh, yeah, changed the work life a lot. Uh, here in the Nordics, in Sweden, we have much more flexible work times. Uh, more or less, uh, everybody still work from home. Uh, so some people here has went back have went back to to the normal workplace uh, but but we are still very flexible um how, how is it in us now how much has it normalized and what do you see uh, is the normal workday and trends from now when i talk to friends and family and I'm talking about people who are smart and they're motivated and they're high achievers. When I talk to people and I ask them what they want in work, and because sometimes people are looking for a new job, they always say, but I'm not willing to, but I'm not willing to, mm. but I'm not willing to drive an hour, but I'm not willing to give mm. up my health, but I'm not willing to miss my kids basketball games every day between whatever time they are, but I'm not willing to miss my Susie's ballet recital. This phrase, but I'm not willing to, is creeping up more and more and more, including among people who want to work hard, including people who are very successful, including people who need a job. They're just not willing to drive an hour and a half each way or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that mm -hmm. and hearing that over and over and over. And I think some companies you know, understand that and some companies don't. <laughs> Hmm. And uh, the trends with the layoffs uh, that we have seen, uh, yeah, for a while now. Uh, what do you think about that, and what do you see it's really, from here? Yeah, as I said, it's a little bit strange. Um, it's not like you know, a long time ago there were situations like AT and T used to have you know telephone operators, thousands and thousands of telephone operators, and you would make your phone call, and they would do the phone call for you, and then. When technology progressed, all those operators got laid off because you didn't need them anymore. But nowadays, as I said a few minutes ago, it's not just about that. It's about companies saying, I don't know, we're trying to get ahead of it. Or, or um, you know, we're very, very profitable, but we need to cut back on costs because our investors said so or something like that. So, um, mm. of course, every situation is different. There are, there are companies who are struggling. But in other cases, you have to, it is kind of strange what's happening with companies cutting bodies without having a full sense of people's capabilities. And sometimes even one's own manager having a, lacking a sense of people's own capabilities, which goes to a mm -hmm. subject we could have an entirely another podcast about, I'm sure, which is 
managers being promoted to being a manager because the companies love their work as a contributor. They want to pay them more. They want to keep them. They don't know what to do with them. So they give them a raise and they call them a manager, even though they're terrible at being a manager. That's another problem mm. altogether. Um, mm. And so that those managers end up not knowing how to, you know, get a sense of people's capability and how to make the mm. most of people. And mm. ultimately that's what you see happening is people being laid off and there was work for them internally at the same time. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Todd. Um, and uh, both you and me, we are really interested in technologies. Uh, so uh, a, a small uh, discussion here about the role of the technologies. So how, how can we see technologies uh, helping skills organizations? Yeah, I mean, technology has enabled this in a way that it hadn't a decade ago. Um, so it's really amazing the transferable skills that you can see now. You can basically turn on a switch practically and see all of the skills of your organization. You can see what the gap is between your organization and others. You can see what the gap is between your organization and where it wants to be. And then you can see what people need to learn to bridge that gap to be where you need to be. Mm. So if you're a, a clothing company that's trying to shift into a more of an e-commerce model, you can see what skills you need. If you're a food company that's trying to be more healthy, you can see the skills you need and how to bridge that gap. An energy company trying to be more alternative, you can see the skills you need and how to bridge that gap. What if you're an entertainment company, TV and movies, which is changing a ton right now because people are buying their TV and their movies at home a la carte by getting these little $5 a month services instead of going to the movie theaters or instead of bidding a big hundreds of dollar cable package, they're getting these services like Disney and all these others. And, and you can see what, it, what does my organization need to do to change from a legacy TV company to a Netflix type of TV company, what do we need to learn? And so technology has enabled that because there's this uh, incredible cracking of the genome of capability, if you will, that didn't exist a decade ago. And now I'm a bit curious, uh, how, what do you say about the maturity grade in US for the companies there to use these uh, sort of technologies? That's tough. I think that a number of organizations, I'd say the majority of organizations are trying to do something skills-based. Um, for example, they're realizing their job descriptions are like all over the board and they just don't, mm. they're just not working. Like you'll have a job called something like product marketer and you might have a hundred product marketers and then they're all doing different things and they have this mm. title. And so you want to go a higher the 101st or the 102nd and you don't know what skills you should ask for and you don't know what skills the market or the industry or the world is asking for now so they lack that intelligence but let's say the majority are trying to fix that in some way and are taking steps to become more skills oriented even mm. if it's uh, relatively modest steps at first, like cleaning up job descriptions or making sure people are learning the right things. 
and not taking classes that don't really that are kind of outdated, for example. Here in uh, Sweden and the Nordics, uh, yeah, we, we, we have some work to do uh, with our maturity grade. So it's uh, always interesting to see how far other yeah. countries have come, yeah. like US uh, and other countries in Europe yeah. as well. How, how, how well the organizations adapt to the technology. But if we speak about the data, uh, do you have any comments about do they take care of the data and collect data? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be, if you're, are you asking about like the security of data? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly if you're going, if you're um, taking market intelligence, if you have, um, if you're just, for example, doing what I was just describing, you're trying to um, take your job descriptions and make them much more reflective of the world and you're trying to make them current and you're bringing in data from the outside that you can learn from that helps you develop job descriptions that are most relevant. So you're hiring the people who are most relevant now. And so you're reskilling people with the skills that are most relevant now. You can bring data in from the outside to, to augment the data you have on the inside. But yes, you need to make sure that all of the data in your organization is kept uh, kept secure and kept safe. At Skyhive, I have my own profile. And so I can add uh, data into my profile about something that I've learned on the job. But that needs, if that's private information, it stays private. So if I'm mm. working at Skyhive and I took a class in ChatGBT, and I put it on my LinkedIn profile and I put it and I talked about it on Reddit or Quora, then fine, that's public. But if I took a very private class on ChatGBT and about one organization that I helped you know, sell to or something that's proprietary information, that organization stays private and doesn't become part of any larger public profile of myself. What is um, the next uh, project uh, or a dream uh, task you will be involved in or are involved in? Oh, that's interesting. The next dream task. Um, some of the yeah, I like dreams. Yeah, <laughs> I think that we're going to be doing more and more work for um, governments and organizations and communities. So, for example. Um, refugees, helping refugees, not just get a job, but get matched to what they need to do to get a job. What do they need to learn to get a job? Um, I spoke with a couple people in Ghana recently in Africa who are uh, using our technology and they were able to see, both of them were surprised how many skills they have that they didn't even realize they had. And it wasn't that cool. someone told them they had those skills. It was the technology just bubbled up those skills to them. And it helped them see how they could fit into jobs that they really hadn't considered. And that, to me, is kind of a dream to see people's potential being realized in front of their own eyes and then being fulfilled by having them matched to jobs that they would never have considered in the first place. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, and... Uh... How do you prefer to learn? 
how do I prefer to learn? Yes. Like in what medium? Um, I prefer to learn by doing in some ways. So it's hard for me. If someone told me to go sit and watch a three-hour video and then go remember it and then go do what it told me to do, that would be pretty hard for me. I learn a lot better by uh, trying and uh, doing. So if someone said, mm -hmm. uh, could you, Todd, could you um, record a two-minute video of you talking about something? I would be able to do that and I would be able to re-record re it and then re-record it again and probably get better each time uh, by the kind of the trial and error of uh, privately recording the video and then trying again privately and then do the public version. So maybe we could try this podcast a few times before I get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you made any mistake that you feel, ah, I learned a lot from that? Uh, probably every day. I can't think of one of them all, but I'm sure there are plenty. <laughs> I just have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And if you summarize the three most important takeaways from today. Three most important. You put, you're really good at putting me on the spot. That's very impressive. So <laughs> um, you, you should you should um do like poli um, politicians you should put politicians on the spot so they're forced to to answer a given number of things. <laughs> anyhow yeah first thing is figuring out what do people in your org organization know what are their skills number two what is the gap where do we need to be to be competitive i mean it's not going to do any good just to figure out what they know and not see how you need to be a competitive company. So if you're a, a restaurant, which a restaurant chain, let's say with a hundred restaurants and you rapidly need to change to be more delivery oriented because people don't want to sit there in your restaurant anymore in a crowded space. You need to figure out what you need to do to become much more of a delivery friendly restaurant chain. So where are those gaps? And where is, you know, what is the um, uh, industry standard? What's the market telling us about where this restaurant needs to be? And that's number three is when, is number three is to reskill. What, what do people need to learn? How can we get them learning? How can we change the way we hire based on where we need to be? How can we retain people who want to have most important skills? How can we hook people up with mentors who can get them those skills that we need? What projects can we take? Can we get people to take on to get those skills where the gap exists? So mentors, gigs, like short-term projects, new roles, learning, all of these things are part of that number three, filling that gap between what we have and what we need to be. Great, thank you very much. When you wake up tomorrow morning, what will you do? Uh, the first thing I will do is wake up my daughter and then I'll be screamed at because she's tired and didn't sleep sufficiently. So that's number one. Uh, and uh, then I'll go uh, read uh, an enormous amount of repetitive information on LinkedIn as well and on Twitter. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, uh, no, there's usually something new to learn. 
But unfortunately, right now, there's a lot of layoffs. But um, there is something uh, new to learn each day and on LinkedIn and Twitter and newsletters and uh, news releases and articles and whatnot about talent. Right. A lover of information and seeking yeah, information an and facts. Around, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. Awesome. And Todd, uh, it's time to round up this uh, episode of uh, Ntech Tuesdays today. Uh, how can we reach you? Um, probably the best thing is just to go to my LinkedIn page rather than me trying to recite a, a phone number or an email address. Uh, my LinkedIn, it's um, Todd Rafael. So my first name is Todd, T-O-D-D. And then my last name is R-A-P, like Paul, P-H-A-E-L, Todd Rafael, R-A-P-H-A-E-L. There are a couple, there are, I think, three of us in the world. So I'm sure the other two are very nice. So uh, whichever one of us you get, hopefully you'll have a nice conversation. And if it's me, I'll definitely respond to you. Great. Thank you, Todd. Really nice to have you here. Thank you. Du har lyssnat på EdTech Tuesdays, en intervjupodd producerad av Snabbfoting. Vi är ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. Besök oss på snabbfoting.se för att läsa mer om framtidens lärande.